Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Dear 2020, can we just start over? I'm Dorno Porter, and I've been thinking about life in lockdown, mostly from a cupboard. My new book, Life in Pieces, is full of thoughts on everything from bad hair and parenting to things we can control and the things we can't. When everything's falling apart, we'll piece it back together. Life in Pieces is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Hi, I'm Dorno Porter. Welcome back to So Lucky, where each week I go deep with my guest and explore all of the sides to all of their stories. The highs and lows, their hopes and fears, their lucky and their unlucky moments. My guest for you this week is the writer Scarlett Curtis, curator of best-selling feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. She is also the co-founder of The Pink Protest. I love talking to Scarlett because, as she says herself in this chat, we're both the sort of people who go deep and weird with people straight off. And we very much do that here by the shed load. We talk about Scarlett's harrowing experiences with illness as she was a very young kid and living with chronic pain. And if you don't know that about Scarlett, then it's worth a bit of research because she really has risen through something truly, truly devastating, so awful for a young girl to go through anything like that. We also talk about her background. Her parents are film director Richard Curtis and broadcaster Emma Freud and how that gives her an insight into and, as she sees it, a responsibility to talk about privilege. Um, I would like to say that I know Scarlett well and she works so hard. I admire her because, let's face it, what she was born into means she doesn't have to do much at all. But she does and she does things for a great and better cause. I love this episode i adore this girl and i hope you enjoy it too so i'll see you on the other side but for now this is me dorno porter talking to the absolutely gorgeous scarlett curtis so could your superpower be which it kind of is is that you can't sleep you need to utilize that into some sort of i sometimes think it is my superpower but all i use it for is watching all the tv in the world so what time do you usually go to sleep? I used to, when I was a teenager, I could never get sleep for like three or four. Yeah. And then I think now I can function on very little sleep. Yeah. And I, I do sleep much better, but it's still something I find really hard. And was the reason that you couldn't sleep because of physical pain? Yeah. I was just in so much pain because um, I was very sick from mm-hmm. 14, 17. And I think with the kind of pain it was, it was like nerve pain. So it was very hard to fall asleep mm-hmm. with that 
and then uh, yeah it's just it's always been my downfall gosh and how do you feel after a good sleep like what's a good sleep for you that's thing not that different I don't I, it's I just don't feel like I'm that affected by sleep which is a bit odd but then once I'm asleep as well I could sleep forever right and when okay. I get very low I sleep during the day a lot yeah which is bad but you know but if you're not feeling great yeah well everyone tells you it's bad Passes the, passes the time. Passes the time, gets you through a day. <laughs> exactly. Um, you're someone, so this this podcast is kind of talking about the idea of luck and you're someone who I think is a really interesting person to talk to about that because you've literally said out loud, I've read it, didn't hear you say it out loud, but I've seen it in inverted commas, um, that you obviously were born into a position where you're so lucky to be white, be privileged, to you're born into success. Um, and so tell me about your luck and if you feel like a lucky person because to be fair you've had a lot of shit come your way as a person in terms of physical and emotional yeah it's a funny one I definitely do feel really lucky and I think that was actually always something even before I got sick that was a really huge part of our family because my parents um what I mostly thought of as their job was Mm -hmm. running comic relief right and red notes day and then every like five years they'd go off to make a film and we wouldn't see them for six months. But like I didn't think of that really as their job. Their job every day was doing Red Nose Income Relief. And it was kind of like within our family, charity was like our religion. And mm-hmm. the whole idea was like, we have this luck and this fortune that a lot of people don't have. It's our duty to give it back and mm-hmm. pay back. So that was really sort of like ingrained in me from the day I was born that if you are lucky, you sort of owe it right. to, to somehow help others who aren't as lucky as you. Yeah. Because it was always like, well, you could have been born into any other family and, you know. Um, so that was definitely a part of it. But aside from that, our family was, like, very happy, as far as I can remember it, I'm mm-hmm. sure my parents fought or something. But, <laughs> you know, we were very happy. We were yeah. very, like, um, yeah, just happy. And then... When I was 14, I had this operation on my spine for scoliosis. It went wrong. And suddenly I went from being this sort of like goody two-shoes girl who just loved her friends and pets and school to being in constant pain all the time for like three years. No one knew what was wrong with me. And in terms of luck within that, I think it was very confusing because it now when I look back I realise how young I was Mm -hmm. and I think when you're that young you don't really understand what's happening or why it's happening and there are a few things that people would say like people would say everything happens for a reason right and I would which is if you have anyone in your life who's sick don't say that to them because what I would then turn that into is oh I must have done something wrong that meant that I deserved this right and this was like I made this happen And then also I was sort of really mistreated by doctors during that time and again was told quite a lot that it was my fault that I was sick. And I think for me what that led to was like, I have this perfect family who have this amazing life, but I've ruined it. Like, I'm the one. They're unlucky to have me in the family. Like, I've ruined their luck, which is a really, like, mad thing to deal with when you're 14. But then when people are saying things like that to you and you're in physical pain and you're... I can totally imagine that thought going into your head and just escalating. Yeah, and you just... I just felt like such a burden. Like, I felt like I was ruining my brother's lives. I felt like I'd ruined my mum's life. Like, 
all this stuff mm-hmm. you're just like oh my god you know this family is perfect and then I came along and now like everything's ruined um but in terms of how I feel now and why I think like your the novel and the podcast everything is it's such an interesting thing to unpack mm-hmm. because in a way I now feel like I've had these two like whenever anyone says like is it okay if we talk about privilege I'm like yes I love it I think it's so interesting because I've seen both sides of it Uh like I've seen utter privilege and also how within that everything can still go wrong Mm -hmm. and you can be in a wheelchair and discriminate against and abuse everything I went through and it's like I think people get really scared about talking about privilege and luck but I think it's so interesting it's so interesting and it's also one of those conversations where as soon as you open it and start having it like the idea that you know I I know lots of people who are in really good positions in their lives and they're not the happy people in my life like they're not they're not okay in many many ways whether it's infertility whether it's you know um, bad relationship with parents whether it's whatever bad marriage affairs like this this idea that because you're in this position of privilege that everything is just great is really it's just really unfair so I love that you're so cracked open about it because yeah. like nothing that your family had could get you out of pain for three years when you were a teenage girl I mean it's exactly. so brutal and they tried so hard mm-hmm. and then also I think one of the reasons when I wanted to make a book about mental health it had to be an anthology is like I went through all that physical and then all that mental pain had every doctor in the world like mm-hmm. we could you know pay for anything any treatment and it's still I still it still took me like years and years and years to get out of it so it's like well if we're in that situation as a society where like the top tier of people still can't get help how bad is this situation like Uh it's terrible you know um because yeah it's not just to do with money it's to do with like genuinely not understanding what these problems are and also it sounds like you just weren't listened to you and you were kind of brushed aside the doctor would the doctor would kind of say that you were it was your fault or that you were you were lying about mm. the pain that you're in was that something that happened i'm sure yeah. i heard you say yeah, that once it did. like that's just a disgusting attitude coming at you from a healthcare professional full totally. stop it's just so awful totally and i think what i've realized over the years is how much of that was to do with the fact that i was like a pink-haired 15 year old girl right. only ever with my mum doctor's appointments would be so different when I was with my dad it was so funny like the difference between how I was treated with my dad compared to my mum what was that about just you know when I was with my mum they would basically blame it on us say we weren't doing well enough say it was on me and then if there was kind of my dad there would be like Mm -hmm. well we're going to be looking for more options Mm -hmm. and I just think if people especially in the medical profession are, are quite quick to judge young girls and young women and not believe their pain in a way that you know the amount of women that live with endometriosis without getting it diagnosed I do yes it's agony it's I mean and and one of my best friends is going through a nightmare at the moment where she just can't be be diagnosed and it's like I I'd I'd love to know if there are men out there in similar situations but it's not something I see and yet almost all my female friends are in some kind of pain that they have to live with I know I feel I I talk to Chris about this a lot because obviously he kind of sees me rolling around on the floor in agony for a few at least a few days a month Mm. and um, I always think God it's just since my early 20s I have just taken for granted so I have baby I had had babies and now I've got an IUD or whatever you call it here a coil so like 
it's all quite minimal and calmed down. But up until I got that, it'd be like 10 days a month of through the night physical agony to the point that when I was pregnant, I was like, I know I'm not going to need an epidural because I've been there. I know. Yeah. And I was right. Yeah. I'm like, God, I've just completely accepted that pain as part of my life. Yeah. And um, women are expected to suffer. It's like... It's so bizarre, isn't it? We're meant to. But also the weird thing is, is that we do. Yeah. And I feel like I kind of take it as part of my... I accept it, mm. it's, I, which is the strange thing. I had this thing which everyone says to me and I always say, which is like, I'm really good with pain mm. because I learned so long how to deal with it. And it's like, you say it kind of proudly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to be good with pain. I know, isn't it mad? Like, like, you kind of think that's, that's just something that we skill. say. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be good at like running yeah. or, you know, speaking French. I don't want to be good at being in pain. Like, know, it's, it's mad. I know, but we just kind of do, we just kind of accept it. And it's something I feel like I'm, I, I always have this attitude as well. I get to this point where I've just turned 40 and I'm like, what's the point in trying to fix it now? Like, I'm, like this, this coil has got me down to like two nights of crippling agony a month instead of 10. That's fine, I'll yeah. live with that. And then I'll just go to menopause and then I'll be fine. Totally. And I kind of see this over the hill thing of this menopause god knows what we're fucking in for like this is the other thing about being a woman you go through all this and then you've got you know that you've got this thing to come and you've got no idea yeah and so i'm like but i see this other side of just like running down hills in pretty dresses <laughs> through primrose hills like it's gonna i'm just hopefully that While this is all true the men are, like getting bad hips or exactly something. old, no, old the, and bald and um, leaky yes, willies which i learned about today dream. and i think I've definitely reached that point now with mental health where like it used to be so bad Mm -hmm. and now it's so much better and then you kind of think well like what's the point in trying to make it even better yeah like I'm definitely as a person I'm very good at like accepting sort of not great situations right is that Um, something you've kind of grown to do yeah I just think I I remember there's this like really important moment when I was like 15 and I'd sort of been in pain for a year and I really never thought it was going to go mm-hmm. like I was like okay this is no well this was this moment or I was like I remember I was reading that book Never Let Me Go wow, which yeah. is like all about kind of acceptance Yeah, and I was like I could live in hope and be disappointed every week mm-hmm. or I could accept this and like make the best of it um, and that's just totally what I did and I kind of you know, I like started this blog and I started, I like my whole room was just this like obsessive kind of factory where I would never be still for a minute. I would just like make all this stuff from my bed um, and read all these books and like just sort of really tried to like, yeah, live in it. Yeah. Um, so in on the subject of privilege, I think that kind of moves really closely on to a word that is really horrible and I don't take offence mm. by this because it's just to open the conversation but nepotism yes so you're obviously kind of born into this incredibly successful family and the world is your oyster now I I'm all for nepotism because I just <laughs> like people who work hard I think it doesn't matter you know we're going to be in a position one day where if Arthur mm. Valentine wants to do something will we what what would that look like yeah and I just think my view on that if say one of them turns around one day and says I want to be an actor or I want to be a writer is that um, I'll, I'll help you if you work really hard and this is what I love about you like anyone who threw nepotism at you I'd be like just step back this girl is a workhorse <laughs> and a force I mean workaholic I think <laughs> is a better phrase um, yeah I mean again I think like privilege is just interesting to talk about mm-hmm. like I started what's weird is so I'm like 24 I've had two books but because I dropped out of school I started 
journalism when I was 14 so I'm kind of like 10 years in to my career so Mm -hmm. then if you look at it it does kind of make sense but nepotism definitely plays a part and I remember I had this blog called Teen Granny and not that many people like knew I was just it was just basically old women who followed my blog and sometimes we'd meet up and they were like, oh my God, you're 15. That's really? insane. Yeah. <laughs> and in a wheelchair and none of us expected this. Um, but, and then I remember I wrote an article for like the Telegraph or something mm-hmm. and they put a really funny headline that was sort of like all about my parents and stuff. And then, so from the first article I ever wrote, all the comments I got were like, nepotism, nepotism, nepotism. And it never really affected me that much because I was sort of like, well, yeah, but also, I don't know, I'm just still going to work and I'm, you know, I am hardworking and I don't, again, it's that cliche, but like, I I think it gets you the foot in the door, but I don't think it like... You've got to maintain it. Yeah, you've got to maintain it. You've got to work on it and stuff. But I also think part of... So I run this activist group, Pink Protest, and everything we do is about, like, creating campaigns around young women and opportunities around young women. And I think a huge part of the reason I do that and do all the activism that I do is, like, because I know what nepotism looks like. Mm -hmm. I know how that works. And the reality is most people don't have that. So, like, if I can use any of... What I've got to like do that. I don't know. It's but a funny one, though. Isn't it, it is a funny one, and also like you talk a lot about anxiety and mental health, which is so amazing. You've opened up this huge conversation. I mean, that book, which I was thrilled to be a part of, by the way, is so. Um, I love the fact that it's not. There's some really big names in there, like Emma Thompson and Amelia and mm. all those people. But there's also not. You went for the right people, and you cast yeah. it really well. Yeah, it's funny when people say that. I'm like, there's 75 people in the book, and you've probably heard of like three of them. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good because they're real stories. Yeah, and they cover what I really wanted to do with that is like, you know, I had what I think of as like one of the worst mental health experiences. It destroyed like years and years and years of my life. Mm-hmm. I tried to take my own life destroyed my like my family for years were very affected like all this stuff but I still had treatment was Mm -hmm. why you know was all this stuff my parents could pay for everything and I really wanted to be like well if I've had that situation what happens when we look at the intersections of this issue with race and class Mm -hmm. and gender and sexuality and everything else because actually when you look at the stats around that there's as much inequality within mental health as there is in any other yeah. area you know but then again there's that flip side of it which is like you can be Sam Smith you can be James Blake you can be Amelia Clark, and you can still be going through a situation that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy uh-huh. well I think this is the thing about I mean you know god I mean if everyone's talking about it but Meghan Markle's a great example yeah. of someone of this and every time I read oh you know fuck them they're loaded they're the monarchy they're this you're just like god and the LA fires oh the rich people whose houses burned down yeah. of course there's that of course they're all going to be fine at the end of the day but to take that kind of to take away from someone like they haven't got the right to be human or yes. have have those feelings because they're privileged is such an unreasonable argument that I see every day on, online anyway and I, som- I sometimes think one of the reasons it gets that bad is because people in those positions don't talk about it as well and I think it's almost like some people feel like it's this like gaslighting Mm -hmm. where we're all pretending we don't have privilege or pretending we don't have it's like if we just all I think we just all need to talk about all of it more all of it more yeah and then it will all become a bit easier instead of it feeling like this kind of 
huge divide and confusion. Yeah. And that's, you know, if I think if Harry and Meghan were to get up and be like, yeah, we are the royal family, but it's still really hard. Yeah. That it, I, in my well, dreams, think, it would help. Yeah. Well, her not saying her the other day just like not saying I'm fine yeah, to that, that question no, was amazing. huge because you realise that is what you'd say. You would say if you're in that position fine yeah, yeah lovely um archie's wonderful and everything's dreamy and the fact that she didn't it's like it's kind of made everyone go oh okay let's no, stop being amazing. so cruel and i think it's so powerful and yeah i have like my heart broke when i watched that i mean all of the stuff that you like went through and i know that it's an ongoing thing for you but when you talk about being 14 to 17 when you're in physical mm. pain, now you're 23. Four. 24. So recently. Yeah. Like, I feel like, God, I mean, that ju- almost just happened to you. It feels so far away because I met, weirdly met your mum for the first time around that time. Yeah, we Went I on remember. to Comic Relief and um, and she was, and she'd said to Chris, oh yeah, we're fine, but you know, Scarlett's, um, yeah. you know, she's really not very well. And I didn't know you all at all. That feels like a hundred years it ago. Does, yeah. But in terms of your life, it's just so recent. Well, it's funny. One funny thing about that is my parents, bless them, used to have this thing where they would just tell everyone what was right. going on with me. I think it was like their coping thing. So now sometimes I meet people and they're like, didn't you like die? Or <laughs> like we're in a wheelchair. I'm like, I'm okay now. Um, but... It's funny because I think like, so when I was 14 and then 17, three years was like such a huge percentage of my life and it felt like it had been happening forever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes now when I think about it, I'm like, it wasn't that long, but to a 17 oh, year old. three years is ages. To a Don't tell you, yes, absolutely. Like your whole life. Yeah. And now, like in some ways it does feel like so long ago and then in some days it just feels so recently. I bet it does. Yeah. And I, I think bet. that's part of like trauma as well. I was in the doctor the other day and I was talking about like stuff I went through mm-hmm. and then you had to write your age on a form and I almost wrote 19 and How I was interesting. like oh that's so weird I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> I'm literally back to being 19. Yeah. And it's so, very funny. It's like, um, I mean, I feel like your, everything that you do feels... I'm just endlessly surprised by your age because you've got such a mature attitude towards feminism, towards <sighs> activism, towards so much of it. Where does that come from? Is that from just observing those amazing parents? That's very nice. Um, yes, I think a lot of it comes from them. A lot of it comes from like once I left school, I think I was mostly with adults. Right. It's like a big thing. I was at 
like a dinner the other day and I was like oh it's just me and all my best friends and then I looked around everyone was over the age of 50 and really? I was like Oh my gosh. Because you just shut yourself I off from that teenage social yeah. life. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh, we're all so similar. Like, we're all going through menopause. And I was like, oh, I'm really not. I'm actually 22 <laughs> and I should probably get a life. How are you at being on your own? I think, yeah, I'm like too good at it. Right. Way too good at it. Uh, over my life, I've spent so much time just on my own and what I became really obsessed with because I think because I was out of school and I was so worried about like not getting an education mm-hmm. I just became obsessed with reading watching right. the news like trying to teach myself stuff and also for me I found feminism kind of through reading when I was like 16 mm-hmm. and then when I, I moved to New York when I was 19 and I joined this like feminist group there and that was sort of the first time I'd made friends since right. I was 14 and reading about feminism was the first time I understood what I'd been going through mm-hmm. from the like as in it wasn't my fault maybe I, this was part of a bigger system uh, and it really there's a piece that I wrote in this book in the blue book but it's called like feminism as a uh-huh. form of self-help because I think it literally like that was the thing for me that got me that helped let me recover well it's a community as well as once you realize that you're all having a similar experience and you know the more that women club together and they create these groups and do this thing amazing yes it's all going to get better one day it's the best feeling in the world like i it's i think sometimes we talk about the downsides and i'm like it's given me all my friends yeah it's given me like everything i love in the life it's like the best thing in my life yeah and also part of feminism is that thing of women clubbing together and the power of what happens when women come together um one of my favorite people in the world is your mother yes and and your dad i don't know him as well but what i love about emma is i don't think i've ever met anyone so warm opening welcoming um friends with everyone but genuinely because when she doesn't like one they can literally fuck off so it's like I really trust her and I love the fact that she's completely unedited and completely unguarded when she's in conversation with you and um, what's she like as a mum? She's a wonderful mum she loves you as well she's Mm. it's funny every therapist I've ever been to has been like you need to be more present and I'm like my parents are so present Uh I've almost like seen the downside of being so present like they are both so amazing and in the moment and I think if anything I've always found that the only thing I found hard about it like they're the most amazing parents but I've found it hard in that like I'm much more introverted than them right I'm much more analytical than them like I can't make a decision without thinking about it for like a week I can't if I go to something I have to like process it afterwards and they're just not like that at all and I think for a while I felt really like why do I not love having a million people in our house every day? Right. It's very open door family, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Our house is literally a train station. And I was like, <laughs> why do I feel anxious all the time? And I was like, oh, maybe you're just meant to have a slightly like quieter life. And then also I get worried if I introduce new friends to my mum too quickly because they always like her more than me. Well, the thing is, is she just, she's just like, she's either boiling the kettle or opening some wine. It's yeah. just, everyone's welcome. Or cooking. She's like, the, yeah, she's just, and I'm not like that. I'm like this person that just wants to talk about books in the corner. Yeah. But it's nice 
having that in my life. You said something to me once, and I, I've asked you to repeat it to me before, and I can't remember what it was again. I came to see you with one of my babies. I think it was Valentine when he was just born. I came to see you and your yes. mum. And you said something about the kind of mum that she was um, that was just so lovely, and it made me really live by it. And I can't remember what that wording was, but it was something along the lines of how... Um, she always just put you all first, no matter what was going on. And you felt that so strongly. Um, I wish I could remember exactly what it is, but I remember just sitting there with my baby and looking at you guys and just thinking, this is the relationship that I want. I lost my mum when I was young. So oh, when yeah. I see that relationship with a mum and yeah. a kid, I'm like, I want to be like that. And the way that you guys talk like your mates. Yeah, we definitely do. We definitely do. And are you the oldest? Oldest and only girl. All right. So the oldest of four. Yeah. Right. And I think... Yeah, it's been funny. I mean, I also think for anyone who's like been sick, your mm-hmm. relationship with your parents becomes quite complicated for a while and it was definitely complicated. And then I think when as I've gotten older and we've just, it's, it is just like we're friends. And yeah, I think me lovely. learning that was a really big thing as well. Right. Um, but yeah, and I mean, she, I don't know, it's great. I had this teacher at school that, because quite a lot of my friends are like really close with their family yeah. like I would rather be with my family than with anyone in the world mm-hmm. and he was just like this is not normal like <laughs> you're meant to leave home when you're 18 and like that's it and I was like no all me and my friends want to do is hang out with our parents and it's great it's so lovely and he was like no you're all going to like have some weird stinted growth in the future it's going to be like an epidemic well it's like most people are like you know dreading going home for Christmas in July and just thinking how are we going to do this how are we going to do this I'm like counting other days and like would rather be with my family than anyone it's so wonderful Scarlett (laughs) it's so lovely because I just feel like I'm relentlessly sitting around with people slagging off parents Um, if they're listening by the way love mine I was talking about other people Um, so I mean you're in terms of you and your future and do you make plans are you the kind of person that thinks right by 26 I want to be doing this by 30 I want to be doing this or are you just kind of drifting definitely not in like a very sort of dark way Mm -hmm. I think I thought I would be dead by now right like (laughs) um at many points in my life like when I was yeah when I was young when I was first got sick I was like there's no way I'm gonna kind of make it and then I thought I was going to be in a wheelchair my whole life and then I thought I was going to be depressed my whole life and I remember this one day where I just really made the decision I was like it's going to be fine like I'm never going to be able to leave the house I'm never going to be able to live on my own I'm never going to be able to like go to sleep but it'll be okay I'll get cats and I'll like watch all the TV in the world and it'll be great um and then suddenly I like got better and I think I almost think I might want to... Like, my New Year's resolutions every year are like, I want to drink more. I want to go out more. I want to have more fun. I want to be a more normal 23-year-old. Like, I want to... Weirdly, the stuff I find easy is the work and the that stuff. And the stuff I find really hard is, like, the being a young person stuff. Right. In terms of being sociable, are you... Do you, do you have much of a social life? Or you kind of get people around... And sit in your kitchen kind of person my social life is definitely f- sort of formed through my work mm-hmm. so I think it's weird I always describe it as like I sometimes think 
of my brain is like when I got this is a really weird analogy but when I got sick it was like my brain was this like city and then it all got bombed and you know when you see those pictures from World War Two where there's like one building mm-hmm. standing like in my head the one building standing was work and it was for some reason the only thing like after I as, over the last few years like I used to not be able to make friends I used to not mm-hmm. be able to go on dates I used to not be able to go to parties but I could work so I was like I'll do that and then through work I met like the most amazing people and now I have friends I love Mm -hmm. and like I'm definitely more social than I thought I was like I am learning how to rely on people Mm -hmm. and trust people and let people in and not be like I have this amazing friend called Paddy and I was I remember I was like sort of 19 and I was like you just always say like I've got no friends and it was like my thing and then he's turned to me and he was like, it's so rude when you say that. Aww. Like, we're your friends. Yeah. Like, we love you. You right. just don't let us in. Mm-hmm. And it was such a big wake up because it was like, oh yeah, I don't have to be this person anymore. I think we get these rules about ourselves in our head and it's really hard to let go of them. You'll be yeah. like, I'm the kind of person who... And it's really hard to change them. So I've been trying to like learn that I can be the kind of person who does all those things I never thought I was going to do. Yeah. And do you, do you like being sociable? Like, how are you walking into a room of people that you don't know? Um, I have a thing where I'd actually rather go to a party alone than I would with someone. Well, I mean, that's bold. Because I just think you can leave whenever you want. Right. Okay. You know, <laughs> like, you're not. Yeah. And you can, like, go to the loo for, like, half an hour if yeah. you want a little break. And you don't have that person worrying about you. I mean, I, no, I'm st- I still find it sometimes quite mm-hmm. hard to socialise. But, yeah, again, I'm just trying not, to almost not to say things like that as much right. because yeah at one day I, I think I go very deep with people very mm-hmm. quickly which is sometimes a bit weird right and hard but it's hard not to do that yeah and it's hard you almost you almost want people to just know your story and just understand you yeah and also I just it's the thing that makes you feel safe because I'm like I need to know you've been through right you're weird as well yeah. like I need to know you're a human like I remember I went to a party with my friend once and she's like really flirty and amazing and by the end of the night she had like you know three guys numbers uh-huh. and I was like in the corner with this boy who was like <laughs> sobbing about his dead parents and it, she was like yeah this is this is us <laughs> like, and I think the boy who was sobbing had given her his number right like, okay it was just like <laughs> that's always going to be what I get out of people. I yeah, know. I know, but also it's, I think, when you've been through something, you can't just turn it off. And there's a kind of, I think, what's what's really lovely and it's actually a really nice quality is you're like, this is who I am. Let's just get this straight from the start yeah. of the conversation because I'm not going to, like, disappoint you later if you find that disappointing for some reason. Yeah. Um, I totally get that because well, I used to do that thing when I was... Um, I always used to say to my sister, at what point when you meet a new person do you tell them that our mum died? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you don't need to. And I was like, no, they need to know because they need to know because it's it's at that at your age. I was like, it's still it's everything that I am. So and therefore, I'd be meeting someone, and I would just find a way within the first like six sentences to just slip in mm. that my mum had died. So we just got that on the table. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Reversing. <laughs> do you? Because I'm definitely like that as well. Mm. And you? Do you ever feel? Do you ever feel like overexposed? All the time, yeah. all the time. Because it's and with social media as well. Yeah. I, I am suddenly feeling, and I've never felt this before, but I'm suddenly like, 
oh, I've shared too much. Okay, well, that's because you've just been on the press trail yeah. for your book, so you're going to feel like that, and I always feel like that after I've done a book tour. Cause you it's get a asked, weird feeling, though, It's a weird well. feeling. You can ask the, all those I questions. I think the place I'm in is, like, I'm talking about, you know, like, if you look at suicide rates mm-hmm. and suicidal thoughts and all of that, it's such a prevalent issue. And I decided this one month health talk about it, and then you know, suddenly you're like, okay, I know loads of people have been through this, but I'm the only one talking about it. And then I just feel like I want everyone else to catch up because I feel like, oh, I've just shared all this stuff and and I I know everyone around me is feeling it and I get messages on Instagram. But when I go out on the streets, I'm the only one that, you know, or I go to a party, like, yeah. I'm the only one that people... That are people are saying it because your audience is so big. Not so big, it's just you don't, you've done yeah, it publicly. But you said it publicly, and it's such a weird feeling. I mean, you've got to remember when you start to feel like that, why you set out to do this mm. whole thing in the first place. And you know that when you say that, someone is listening and they're thinking about their situation in a more open way and that maybe they'll start talking about it you might not hear about it Mm. but you're opening up all these little conversations all over the place that you don't know about and that doesn't help for your feeling of like isolation as the only person that's doing it but um, my advice is just take a huge break because as you let it settle you'll realise that you're probably more comfortable with what you've said than it feels like it's just a bit boombastic when it's all happening at once how do you decide what to share and not share Um, I mean it's really difficult and I blur the lines all the time I try not to talk about the kids now I wrote about the kids in the Sunday Times on Sunday and I I really it was great and I really liked it but I also felt like I slagged off my kid in a newspaper and and I feel really uncomfortable about it and I've been on the press trail all week this week because at time of recording this is my um, book press week and uh, and people keep saying you're really open about how hard it is having toddlers and I'm like no I'm not really yeah and well, that's you're in exactly really, the same situation yeah. everyone finds having toddlers hard it's just people still say it's easy so then you're like oh my god am I an awful I know yeah. and then also I kind of feel like we, Chris and I just have a flat out rule we don't really share much about the kids at all yeah so but I've just written a book where you know we it's one of the themes is motherhood and the main and character you need to share about motherhood and, and it's yes. such a yeah, it's and it's not a secret that I've got children, so I can talk about this thing in my life. But I feel really uncomfortable about yeah. it. I've had so much amazing feedback about that piece, and if I'm honest with you, when my head hits the pillow, I'm like, I shouldn't be talking about my babies in newspapers. So I really do understand how you feel. I know. And um, but I know that I'll be fine after this because I'm now, right now, being asked those questions and on all the time. And in a couple of months, when that's not happening, same yeah. for you, you, it will all be okay. Yeah, and it all just settles and and it will all be okay and then you'll do another book and it will happen again and it's just a really it's part of it everyone will feel the same way because especially when you write it's very personal and people go in with very personal questions and if you're going to write about personal things that matter like mental health then but also what's weird is you write and you don't think about talking about it no because you're on your own for months (laughs) yeah I was like I'm really happy to write all this stuff in my book I don't know how I feel about like saying it. I know, you know it's hard. I and did it's this a hard Irish thing. radio show the oh, other day. What was it? It's very nice. I'm not going to say, but it's a very nice presenter. It was like 9 a.m. and he goes, "Oh, hello, Scarlett." Very good. He's like, "Hi," and he goes, "So you tried to kill yourself?" Oh my and I god. Was like, Ah. Do you know what? I went on a, ra- a late night Irish radio show and am I, I'm used to Saturday night TV being quite jolly. Mm. Walk out on stage, sit down. He goes, so your mum died when you were six. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh my god! Like, did not think. I don't know why they do that. Over there. It's like uh, one level too much for openness. It's just, but it's also like ease in, mate. Come yeah, on, it's ease like, in. I'll see what I have breakfast and then yeah, do it. For me, for you, and for the audience, it's yeah, quite. It's, yeah, for it's, the audience it's, as well. It's hard. But you know, when you're talking about death and mental health, and someone, most people aren't comfortable talking about it. Mm. That's why everything you're doing is going to pay off for society, and that's a promise because you're going to make the conversation mm. easier. People, when they're in a position where they have to interview, they haven't got time or they don't want to look like they're nervous to do it so they just bowl in with like yeah. this yeah. big question yes, exactly. and you're like oh god okay and it's and they don't what I've found is people think about the questions they don't think about the answer that's very true and then you're like how do you want me to answer that yeah like yes, well, I remember me tell yeah. you I did it I remember doing a show about breast cancer years ago and I was interviewing someone who was really not very well mm. and I was taking my time to ask her how she was doing, realising that this is a sensitive subject. Mm. And my director at the time just kind of yelled over my shoulder, can you ask her what the prognosis is? And oh it was like, gosh. oh my God, yeah. I'm looking this woman in the eye. And I think sometimes when people have got their, their TV or radio hat on, they're just thinking about, you're wrong actually, they are thinking about the answer, they just want the sound bite. They want the sound bite, yes. They just want you to say something dramatic. Anyway, we don't have long left. Can we yes. end on fluffy animals, please? Yes. Um, so what fluffy animals are currently living in your house? So I actually now live 10 minutes down the road from my parents. When did that happen? That happened like, because I lived in New York for years uh-huh. and I moved back, lived with them for about six months. But I got very re-traumatized being, because I was back in the bedroom, I'd literally been like right. locked in for years. So I moved out quite quickly, but I'm still very close. And I take the animals on loan um, I have we have a cat, I have a cat called Christmas, oh. and he mostly stays at mine. And then we have we really have a lot of cats now. We have like five cats. That's my dream. A tortoise called Larry Nutsack. Come on. A dog. Um, What's the dog called? Posy. Oh, yeah, no, I know yeah, Posy. Yeah. Posy's a legend. Posy, I think I like so. If there's one form of therapy I believe in, it's animal therapy. Oh, absolutely. I got a posy when I was 16. She immediately... It was like kind of getting a seeing eye dog, but for depression and right. it being sick. Like, I couldn't walk. She didn't want to walk. I couldn't really talk. She just was silent all day. Like, she literally lay on my lap and looked after me for four Sweet years. Sweet baby. It, like, I, I would not go anywhere without her. My mum... One of my operations, my mum brought her into hospital and they were like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um... But yeah, if you're going through a hard time, consider getting the animal. Yes. And yeah, I just think they like change everything. Sweet babies. I love them so yeah. much. Potato, potato, we say potatoes like a therapy dog. Yeah. He's just good feelings. Lulu's ruining our I lives. Think you're one of the only people who is as obsessed with their animals as obsessed. us. And also we have in similar being like dog and cat people. Yeah. In equal measure. Well, I'm definitely a cat person. Maybe I am actually, if I yeah. was honest. My dog is, our dog is basically a cat. I don't believe in, the only binary I believe in in the whole world is dog or cat people. I truly think everyone is one or the other. That's beautiful. Yeah. No, to end on. <laughs> no, to end on. <laughs> Thank you, Scarlett. It's my next book. <laughs> yeah. Are you a dog? You can be a dog and cat person and other lies. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you, I love. Thank you so much, Scarlett, for talking to me on the podcast. Scarlett's latest book, It's Not Okay to Feel Blue and Other Lies, is out now in print, ebook, and audiobook. So Lucky will be taking a short break over the festive season, but I'll be back early in the new year with some more brilliant guests. So please do make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your smart speaker of choice so you get each one as it drops. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd so appreciate a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this. It helps more people find out about the podcast. And if you just can't get enough of me, my own book, also called So Lucky, is out now in print, ebook, and audiobook. It might make quite a good Christmas present. Thanks again to Scarlett, to producer Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio, to Fanula, Liz, Kim, and all the team at HarperCollins, and to you for listening. Happy Christmas. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.